We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. If the Bills draft Josh Allen, I would grab a beer for each hand and launch myself backwards down the nearest flight of stairs. With the seventh pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select Josh Allen, quarterback, Wyoming. Uh, I'm extremely excited, and there's one like word that reminds me of the Buffalo Bills, and it's tough. You know, it's a tough place to play. Um, the fans are tough. I'm tough, so I think I'm a perfect mold for what the Bills stand for. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockwell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was me, me, followed by Roger Goodell and followed by Josh Allen, all from NFL Network. Folks, I made it back. Back to the States in one piece. Exactly. Why don't we apologize first to... We never even told anybody last week that we weren't doing it until Thursday because I'm an athlete <laughs> and I play a lot of hockey in the summer. Roller hockey. Yeah, okay. And then also, you guys need to know, from here on out for the summer, show's going to be on Wednesdays. So deal with it. Somehow, I managed to avoid incarceration or bodily harm in a foreign country under nightmare circumstances. And by that, I mean a nightmare scenario of a draft and enough rum to make a pirate sick. Not a joke. True to my word, I decided to stay away from beer. Mostly because all they had was Red Stripe and Heineken, which are both equally awful. I I mean, I did drink a handful of Heinekens here and there because you got to do something to take the edge off. But since I'm not a fan of hangovers, I stayed far away from all the umbrella drinks and the sugary cocktails and decided to just drink straight liquor on the rocks. For four days straight, <laughs> Chris, Larissa estimates that I took in, now this is a conservative estimate, at least four bottles of Appleton Estates premium white rum and at least a bottle and a half of Grey Goose. Are we talking like the, the bottle size that's like right under a handle? 
Yes. All right. Those are liter bottles, correct? I mean, I, there's different. You can get. It could have been airplane bottles. It was. You the, didn't. You weren't specific enough, Chris. I think you know me well enough that that I'm like. Those are like throwing grapes at a gorilla at that point. <laughs> it was, but the vacation was the best. It was relaxing, entertaining, romantic, and I did it all while maintaining a, what I think is a fairly impressive blood alcohol content level. Now, for those of you who follow us on Twitter. You got to see me rock the angry American, the angry eagle American flag speedo. Okay. What prompted that was essentially first I vowed that I would wear it kind of almost as a dare, like, hey, Bills, don't screw this draft up so badly that I have to wear this. And then the next day I woke up and said, well, you know what? If you're going to, if I hurt, I'm going to make everyone else around me suffer. Since I'm suffering, you're all going to get some too. And I whipped that bad boy out. And I rocked that for two straight days in Jamaica. Some guys in Brooklyn kept asking me every time they'd walk past us randomly throughout the resort, they'd be like, yo, bro, where's the eagle? And I'd be like, the eagle's going to fly. And I'd do the hand signals for a bird. It was my fiance was not impressed. (laughs) She was not impressed with me in the least. And true to stereotype, there was an incident. There was an incident. Just one. Just one. Just one of no. Somehow I don't believe that. (laughs) Three. No, I was on my best behavior by comparison to the crowd I was with. Three straight days I maintained my composure. Even when I wasn't maintaining my composure, I still was not getting as out of hand as some of the people in our crew. And then, now I'm I'm more of a bar guy. I'm not a club guy. But the night of my fiance's friend's wedding... They decided they wanted to do this late night after party at a dance club. Well, I'm watching the draft at a sports bar. We had just finished the third round of the draft. I'm in a better mood than I was the night before. So I'm drinking and I'm throwing them back and I'm throwing them back and throwing them back. And all of a sudden we're in a club, a club where I stick out like a sore thumb because I, this is not where I want to be. For those that live in Buffalo, think of a Jamaican version of Bottoms Up on Chippewa. (laughs) So I switched to beer because I'm like, I need to stop drinking straight liquor and doing shots because this is inevitably going to tip me over the edge and something bad's going to happen. Then they play, of all things, in the middle of this Jamaican club, somehow a friend of the groom convinced the DJ to play the shout song. Okay, Is it the actual song or the Bills? The Bills shout song. And we're all just dancing. We're going crazy. We're on the dance floor, just jumping up and down. Larissa spilled liquor all over somebody. So I'm not the only one who got a little out of hand. But at the end of the song, I had half a glass of beer in my hand. And from reflex, I don't know where it came from. I just spiked my beer. It came from nowhere. The second my fingers came off the glass, I said, oh, no. I wanted it back. And I immediately looked at Larissa and said, we need to get the hell out of here. Typical Americans. This is why we don't allow you on our beer fest. Yeah. You get a few drinks and your unju becomes a dirty head. Yeah. No. You should go back to your street malls and drink your Zimas and smear off ice. Then you can punch each other silly. I would have to say you were out of there from Spike to you leaving the room. Had it have been less than 30 seconds. Absolutely. I was gone. I ghosted that place because I'm still a responsible human being. And the moment it happened, I realized I was in the wrong and I got the hell out of there before I did any more damage. Much like Godzilla going back to the ocean. 
Having said that, my time in Jamaica was fun and I learned a lot. I learned that when you lose your bags in a foreign country, they will inevitably find their way home. So there's no reason to worry. I learned that you can order room service from the bathroom. Okay, from the toilet in these resorts now, you can order room service. I learned that the term bombaclot, I learned what that means in Jamaican. I used it profusely, often on behalf of and to the amusement of the staff. I learned that when you wear a Speedo for two straight days, people will applaud you, but will not stand directly next to you. And it is also imperative that you put sunscreen on your thighs. Folks, it still hurts today. I also learned that just when you think you know what's best for you and your football team, they decide they know better. Chris, what was your draft experience like? Uh, my parents were here, in which my mom's got pneumonia, so uh, that was fun to deal with. Uh, like My mom literally did nothing outside of uh, the Thursday night going to the trough to see Papa Chubby and the following night when we went to see Colin Quinn. Papa Chubby, surprisingly good. He was the only person, he was the only one that played. His, him and his band came out. He played two and a half hours with no breaks. I Now, my dad and my brother, they are huge fans of Rush, the Canadian rock band. I've seen Rush at least three or four times. Every time I see them, they take a break halfway through their set. It's just them. They take a break. Papa Chubby played two and a half hours of blues music, and it was, it was really good. But I spent most of my time on my phone, on Twitter, refresh, refresh, refresh. What went through your mind when you saw the Josh Allen pick? That our podcast is going to be amazing <laughs> for the next three to four years. <laughs> and if we stop podcasting, this is why. <laughs> oh, folks, all of the booze, all of the sunburn, all of the mayhem that I caused, that's what it took to get me through this year's Bills draft. I can't believe that this is my life. And with that, we head directly into this week's Bills News Update. I didn't think we'd have anything to put here. And then, again, early week news. Russ Brandon unceremoniously resigns as president of Pagula Sports Entertainment. That's amazing. 20 years. Fans amazing. everywhere were riled up at the news that Russ Brandon was going to be attending the draft and would be in the war room alongside head coach Sean McDermott, GM Brandon Bean, and the Pagula family. And I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from, Chris. I mean, when you think about it, Russ Brandon has been synonymous with mediocrity over the course of the last decade or so. I mean, the guy spent 20 years with the team. And I can understand why fans hold so many things against him. I can he was a public-facing figurehead. And under him and with him around and him being the face, the team failed to shake up its front office, maintained a lot of the status quo regardless of how mediocre or sometimes even terrible the team was. And in the fact that he was somehow promoted up the ranks instead of down. I mean, fans were like, well, this guy keeps failing and somehow he keeps climbing the ladder. I mean, that just kind of exacerbated all that ill will that people had towards him. I don't necessarily... He failed at, at the, some of the football jobs that he had over the years. But I, I think the majority of his time was spent as being the 
marketing guru and marketing the Bills to the Western New York region. Well, and I, you're, you say that because you're a rational human being. However, most fans look at it and say, well, Russ Brandon, he's been the guy that we see and we immediately associate in our head, word association style, ineffective team management and decision-making. I mean, he failed as a GM. Then he got bumped up the ladder and then failed at hiring a GM and also failed to find any kind of fresh blood for the front office who might be able to come in and do so. How many times, I mean, it was every two to three years, but how many times do we get a new head coach and at the press conference, he's there? So it makes it look like he had something to do yeah. with it. Now, I can understand why all of you out there are probably cheersing and you're singing the praises of whoever decided to pull the trigger on Russ Brandon, whether it was a mutual thing, whatever the case may be. But in memoriam, let's not just sit here and act like Russ Brandon was some kind of mindless stooge who tripped and fell up the ranks of an NFL football team. Okay? Fans that might shoot the bird at that Toronto series, those games sucked. I mean, they were unpopular with fans. They, the players hated them. And they, were, they resulted in some absolutely brutal losses. You remember getting stomped out by the Seahawks up there? Oh, I was like 42 to 17. Yes. This is what I was. Two, th- two things that stand out from the Toronto series for me. Number one, we shut out Washington in Toronto and. Immediately Fitzpatrick got a contract. Ex- exactly. But as far as I know, that was the first time Mike Shanahan had ever been shut out, ever, as a football coach. Okay. And then the second one was Atlanta at. Buffalo in Toronto, mm-hmm. where we were at the university, and it might have been the first time I ever went to a bar with you to watch a Bills game, and you and your softball team brought your own hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, that was a shitty afternoon, although I did get the bartender's phone number that day, inexplicably, because she was way too hot to have been talking to me. So, ultimately, that, that's the only thing I'll remember from that day. I think a bunch of people fumbled to lose the game. Yeah, we lost in, <laughs> yeah, we lost in overtime, obviously. Multiple fumbles occurred, and we lost in overtime. So, that, ter- that series sucked. But when you look at it, the fact is, is that at a time when the team's finances and future were very much in question. I mean, you've got Ralph Wilson. His health is failing. He's essentially a figurehead who's no longer even around the team. Russ Brandon continued to find a way to make wine out of water. According to John Warrell from the Associated Press, those eight games that we played in Canada generated $78 million, which was just a hair under double what the team could have made off of them had they all been hosted in Orchard Park. Was it unpopular? You bet your ass it was. Did I bitch as I watched us get our heads kicked in again and again in front of People who were wearing Montreal Canadiens jerseys. Yes, absolutely that bothered the hell out of me. But was it a shrewd move that illustrated business savvy and an understanding of how to leverage relationships for profit while also trying to expand the footprint of your organization? 100%. What was, it, what was that experience for? I mean, I wouldn't say experience. I don't think you ever went. But, like, how was that offered... As far as a, in the season ticket package. You had to buy that ticket. It wasn't included. Because it wasn't a Bills game. It was a Rodgers communications game. 
Yeah, that's that's how that worked. Savvy business move right there. That's it. Made a ton of money. It pissed a lot of people off, but it was good for the team. In the same way, he was the engineer of the move of training camp to Rochester, which again was another attempt to regionalize the team. I've seen a lot of things on Twitter and social media about fans who say, oh, well, the Rochester footprint was fine. No one can. No, it wasn't. The numbers show that from the time training camp has moved to St. John Fisher, ticket prices have gone up. And season ticket holders who are having their tickets delivered to the Rochester and Syracuse area have increased by a significant margin since training camp moved out there. I mean, think about it. He gave fans in those areas an ability to see and taste the product up close and personal for free to get a feel for the excitement of being around live professional football at no cost. Just to entice them, hey, come to the stadium on game day. Come to the gates. Come on, bring this traffic. You know, See this product? See how much you enjoy seeing it for free? Pay a couple bucks and come watch it live. And it worked to a certain degree. I mean, it paid off in terms of dollars and cents. Yeah, because uh, James and Dan, they have season tickets. And they live out near the Rochester area. And mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if the training camp was the reason for that. Yeah, well, I just think their Bills fandom was the thing. But but what I'm saying is you're showing people who don't normally get to see this up close and personal. You're giving it to them for free. Yeah, well, saying, what I'm, look, do you want to see the real thing, the real show? What's it cost? Yeah, it's, well, that's what entices Potter to come out here to set himself on fire in the winter. And and I think one of the <laughs> – he does set himself on fire every friggin' winter. I can't wait to see it this year. This year, because we're going to have three or four heaters going, because we have so many winter games. It's just four more opportunities for Potter to catch fire in the parking lot. With that, fans may also forget that Russ was the point man in negotiating the most recent lease agreement, which essentially made the team much more difficult to move upon sale. And that when the team went up for sale after Ralph's passing and the Wilson family who, let's, let's call a spade a spade. They didn't live here, had no ties to the area, and clearly didn't have a love for football the way Ralph did. Otherwise, they would have kept the team. They put Russ Brandon in charge of brokering the sale, trusting that his understanding of not just football, but also the region and its fans and the business of the game would bear an amicable and profitable resolution to the entire situation. Considering where we are today in terms of that, I can tell you I think he did a great job. I mean, Chris, without him negotiating the deal the way that he had, without him being there to kind of vet the potential buyers, I mean, he's a, he's a Rochester guy. Without him being a part of that, do you think the, 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 the likelihood that the Bills leave increases? Oh, exactly. And the fact that we were competing with the San Diego Chargers and the St. Louis Rams, two bigger markets than Buffalo. Those were the three teams that were looked at as the two teams that would go to L.A. And yeah. we're, we're still standing in Buffalo. Russ Brandon had something to do with that. Absolutely. And for my own personal part, I know this. I ran into Russ Brandon once. Last year at training camp, during that really rainy, stormy practice at Ralph Wilson Stadium, I got lost. It was my first time with a press pass. I had no idea where the hell I was going, but I was too proud to stop and ask for directions. 
And I ended up in this tunnel area, like offshoot of the tunnel area with no idea how to get anywhere because all the doors are locked and you need a badge to get them to open. So I'm wandering around looking for a way back up to the press box. and A door opens and an extremely disheveled looking Russ Brandon walks out the door and down the tunnel past me. Now he's on the phone and he's discussing the weather and he's talking about contingencies for a repeat of the lightning. You know, which obviously drove all the fans out of the seats and into the forced everybody into the concourses. And I heard him, he was saying something about autograph session, photo opportunities. Now, maybe I'm being naive, but that's the image of Russ Brandon that I guess sticks with me. You could say it's just him trying to protect his own neck, since I'm assuming the idea was his to schedule this practice at the stadium to draw out all the fans and pack the stadium and, you know, fill boxes with, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, he's still asking questions about how he can create a situation that's still good for the fans so that the team still comes out of this looking all right. And he does right. But he didn't just say, okay, well, fuck everyone. We're kicking them all out. Get everybody out of here because the weather's too bad. He was focused on trying to make this a successful thing, not just for the practice itself, but because of the fans and because of the team, and I think for to save his own skin, yes, but because he cared about this. I mean, again, maybe I'm just being naive, but I guess we'll never know. Now, if there's truth to the rumors that his conduct behind the scenes and his refusal to be honest about his conduct when he was called out on it were not up to the standard that his job requires, then by all means, he deserves to be dismissed. But I'm not going to speculate about anything that's going on like that because it's a waste of my energy and your time. All I can say is that there are, there's a lot of people out there celebrating this and trying to decry everything that the man did during his tenure with the Buffalo Bills. I just want you to take a second and try to balance that with an understanding that if Russ hadn't been as good at PR and business as he was, there's a good chance we aren't here talking about any of this. I mean, Chris, can you imagine, would we still have a podcast if the Buffalo Bills were not in Buffalo? No, I wouldn't even be friends with you. That actually <laughs> might be a good thing. If we didn't have a football team, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be friends with you. At the end of the day, was he a terrible GM? Yes. Was he a poor president? I would wholeheartedly agree that as president of football operations, he was not great. Did he become a figurehead to everything fans hated about the dysfunction and the losing that have been synonymous with the last two decades of Bills football? Of course. But was he also a savvy businessman? And the guy who provided a rudder and something of a steady hand when everything around this team could have come off the rails? You bet your ass. So with that, I'll drink to that, and I will wish him the best of luck in all things not football-related. Yeah, best of luck, because you didn't get that from the Pagulas. In their closing statement, which says all you need to know about why he was, uh, why he, excuse me, why he resigned. He was allowed to resign unceremoniously. Russ, good luck to you. We'll see you on the other side. And with that, folks, we open up the first installment of our 2018 NFL Draft Recap. I mean, what can I say? Awesome. We friggin' made it. Yeah, awesome. You got Josh Allen. 
This has felt like the longest and most torturous run-up to any draft in my lifetime. And thank God that it's finally over. The dust is settled, and it's all over but the crying. And the Seagram's drinking. It's crazy, because if you're one of the people who look at the draft grades that get doled out by these pundits, you know, from ESPN to pretty much every major sports reporting service, has somebody who, quote-unquote, grades the draft for every single team and says whether or not they believe they did a good job. If you take a look over those, you'll notice a trend. Everything hinges on our quarterback selection. Mel Kuyper couldn't wait to declare the Bills as winners of the draft. Yeah, because uh, Josh Allen, best quarterback to come out of college since Jimmy Clausen. <laughs> Meanwhile, folks over at the Sporting News declared our draft an almost complete failure. The only difference is that Mel, who coined the phrase, stats are for losers, is a huge fan of Josh Allen. While the writers over at uh, the Sporting News think that he's the next coming of Patrick Ramsey. Yeah, the uh, Washington Redskins first-round pick. (laughs) That tells you everything you need to know. The truth is the value of this draft probably falls somewhere in between. So, let's all top off our drinks, Chris. Crack fresh beers if you're drinking along with us. I got uh, Sierra Mist and uh, Tito's Vodka. And let's see if we can pick our way through this together. This is our recap of round one. First pick, number seven, Josh Allen, quarterback out of Wyoming. Trade up, we t- we gave up number 12, number 53, and pick number 56. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. That's right, folks. That's what the knee-jerk reaction on my end was like. Oh, I loved it. We got a quarterback. I'm sure you did, you scumbag. Let me set a scene for you. I'm in a very, very nice Italian restaurant at an all-inclusive resort. I mean, this is the type of place where when you order lasagna, it comes out elegantly laid out and cut in a bowl and is also the size of a Little Debbie oatmeal cream pot. I mean, this place is far too ritzy for a piece of shit like me. Yeah, (laughs) some fucking white trash from North Collins. My fiance's friend planned this incredible dinner to celebrate the impending nuptials. Now it was not incredible. It was the weekend of the draft. <laughs> it was a horseshit move to get married the weekend of the NFL draft. Well, here I am at her fancy dinner ruining things by streaming the draft off Larissa's iPhone, which obviously attracted every other guy at the table like moths to the bug zapper. Their phones weren't updating as quickly as mine, and they were about 40 seconds behind me. So they're all telling me, bro, bro, don't, don't ruin this. Don't, don't call out the picks. Just, you know, blah, blah. So I promised not to say a word and that I wouldn't ruin all of this draft stuff for anybody else at the other end of the table. The bucks are on the clock, and then they flash the trade across the bottom of the screen. The Bills logo pops up. I don't say a word. In fact, I bit the back of my hand in order to avoid saying anything. My fingers are crossed. Palms sweaty. They announce the pick is in. And Josh fucking Allen's name pops up on the screen. And literally as that's happening, the waiter is coming back with a fresh rocks glass full of white rum. 
I take it and his eyes get real big because I take that rocks glass and I crush it and I hand it back to him and ask him for two more. Told him two more and keep them coming. I just empty it straight into my skull. And then I lean back, I stare at the ceiling and realize that you can't throw anything in here, Drew. Don't do it. Don't you do it. Don't throw things. Oh, it was the it was one of the most maddening experiences of my entire life. Hey, I can tell you right now, Josh Rosen was still on the board. I would have I pref- thought that I would have preferred I even it. got excited when I saw the J as they're scrolling it you know, horizontally across, and I see the name, and it says J, and I go, Josh, oh, Alan, oh, oh, no. I would have loved... it was like someone kicked me in the testicle. I would have loved the pick to have been Rosen, because he was available, but I'm cool with Josh Allen being our starting quarterback, eventually. I think he'll, I think he'll ride Pine on the bench for a hot minute. The night ended with me at the resort sports bar demanding that the bartender leave me the bottle of rum. Because he was going to get real tired of coming back to refill my glass. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Chris, what can we say about this? I mean, we talked with Travis Wingfield, who's going to be on the show in a little bit. We talked with him a few weeks ago about Josh Allen. And he talked about skyline-changing talent. How he could be, if he puts his game together, could be the best quarterback in this class. The the way I kind of look at it, Who's our OC? Brian Dable. Exactly. Now, what is Tua to... to uh, Tagaviola? Tua Lodalalia. <laughs> what, what's his strength? He's got a big arm, right? He has a big arm. He's a big arm. Now, watching Alabama just change up their offense in that national title game and watch the downfield passing from Tua, I... We draft Josh Allen. I go my in my head. I go back to watching Tua throw the ball all over the field and the down the field passing, and I wonder if that could be Josh Allen with with the Bills. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's 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 crazy to think that we're here when you look at his strengths and his weaknesses. We're still talking about a quarterback. I mean, it's been hashed to death. I don't need to tell you, Bills fans, how he fits. Or what he's good at, what he's bad at. The fact is, is I'm shocked we're here. Thinking about it, though, we have a running attack. You've got an offensive coordinator whose rushing attacks were always tops in the league. We have a skilled running back. We have a stable of running backs now that we can kind of switch in and out. And at the same time, you know, if that's the game plan, is to be a run-first offense, you can protect a quarterback like that by only making him, I mean, think about it. The game's Tyrod won. He never threw more than 25, 30 times. We don't need him to play hero ball. The question is, can he do it when the time comes? I honestly believe that he's being, he should be groomed to be the quarterback of the future. I, I mean, I, I just don't think he's going to get there. I, I, I think if we start him this season like fans are clamoring for, he's going to be an abject failure. He will be J.P. Lawsman 2.0. I I got screaming drunk, screaming drunk the night we drafted him. I I could I could almost agree with that because if if you listen to our show enough, I kind of said the same thing last year about Mitch Trubisky. I don't think he got enough uh, playing time in college. No, and I and I think that he would be a a bust 
I mean that that's still a it's still a, a wait and see on Trubisky. But if if I wouldn't get rid, Drew, get ready for this. It's a preseason, and on the depth chart, McDermott has it: McCarron, uh, Peterman, and Allen. So then Josh Allen is playing against third stringers, and he's just like lighting it up. And all of the callers that'll call into WGR talking about how fucking great Josh Allen is because he's beating third stringers. I'm going to want to lay down on the floor and die. Just, just, just die. wait. I guarantee that will happen come August. <sighs> you better be prepared for that. I'm not prepared. I, no. You're going to have to go to consumers and get a bunch of, a bunch of Seagrams so you can, so you can ha- handle all of those phone calls because you listen to WGR way more than I do. I don't. Honestly, I turn it off whenever callers call in, and I feel like that would start a tsunami of callers that I just couldn't tolerate. But then you would probably call in because you are that guy. You are a call-in radio I've station heard, guy. I've heard people sing the pr- – at the end of the day, when we're talking about Josh Allen and that pick, to say that we gave up too much I think is a little overblown. Okay, if, the, if whoever's judging this pick – Says, oh, well, the Bills gave up a lot. Not by modern comparisons for what it costs to trade up for what you think is a franchise quarterback. No, I don't, I don't think we trade. I don't think we. Look at this. It comes out. We, don't, we didn't give up anything for 2019. No. And That's in, a miracle. And in fact, we have to thank the Cleveland Browns for being the Cleveland Browns for that. They took Denzel Ward, fourth pick. Head scratcher, which Idiots. started a domino effect. Idiots. That ultimately led to us being able to only give up two second round picks to get the guy that our co- our coaches and our GM wanted. Oh, but the whole thing just makes me sick to my stomach because we're stuck with a prospect who we have to hope. You know what I mean? Jo- Josh Rosen, at least we knew what he could do and we knew what his ceiling would be. You're talking about a guy who could hit a ceiling. But might also just be an abject failure. And potential is the most dangerous word in football. Potential will get coaches fired. It will get GMs fired. It will, it's, it's a curse. You know, as much as it is a blessing. Well, I think that happened with our next pick. The potential is there. Because we took the 19-year-old linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds. This is the saving grace of the first round for me, folks. The last pick we're going to talk about tonight... Tremaine Edmonds. You keep calling him Edwards because you're a peasant. I thought I said Edmonds. It is Edmonds. You said Edwards earlier and you said it again there. Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker out of Virginia Tech. Another trade up. I'll tell you, that makes how many trades for Brandon Bean over the course of the last few years. He's not gun shy about making picks. Not at all. He'll trade back. He'll tra- he will trade up. He'll tra- he saw Doug Whaley make that trade back, and he said, well, hold my beer. <laughs> well, I sent you that text that you obviously didn't re- respond to, but I looked it up on uh, Buffalo Rumblings, had the list of all of our pre-draft visits, and I only saw one name, Josh Allen, that was in for a visit that we drafted. Yep. Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker out of Virginia Tech. We traded up from number 22. We took him at 16. We swapped our number 65th pick with a for a 154th pick. Knee-jerk reaction. In 2009, my roommates and I threw a house party for the NFL draft. I was so excited because we had multiple picks in the first and second round. It was a beautiful day outside. 
You know, it's a Saturday afternoon, we got the grill going, everyone's over, we're drinking, we're joking around, everyone's having a blast, and we're just waiting for this inevitably great thing to happen to the Buffalo Bills. When the Bills were on the clock, and Buckus award-winning linebacker Brian Arakpo was available, I was beside myself with excitement. We were going to get a solid pass rusher to give our defense some teeth. And then, they, they cut to Mabin on the phone, and the rest is history. That, that draft... Pops up in my mind today because after that pick, I was so demoralized that I took an arm, literally hung my shirt out like a hammock and just swung about 14 beers into my shirt and then grabbed a kitchen chair and went outside and sat in the backyard alone, drinking those beers and smoking cigarettes until the sun had gone away and everyone had gone home. When people approached me to try and cheer me up with news that we drafted some guys named Levitrian Wood to fix the interior of our line, they were met with just flicked cigarette butts and a shower of profanity, and I just chased them right back inside the house because I was so just, I was in a toxic place. That's pretty much what happened with Edmonds this year. In all honesty, I was so just despondent over the pick of Josh Allen. That his people kept approaching me as I'm sitting at the bar trying to tell me that we traded up for this great linebacker prospect and I should cheer up, forgetting that I'm sitting there with a bottle of rum. <laughs> they were all subjected to a brand of verbal abuse that would make Mel Gibson blush. It wasn't until the morning, after talking to my fiance, that I realized two things. A, I have to stop stress drinking during the draft. And B, what a solid move this trade-up for Edmonds was by the Buffalo Bills. Now, you want to talk about analysis and scheme fit? No one, no one gave a better snapshot of this than Brett Coleman from SB Nation's Battle Red blog. I mean, he did a full 10-minute long YouTube breakdown of the player that really the morning after helped me kind of figure out how to feel about this pick. I mean, listen to just a taste of this. Tremaine Edmonds is one of the most fascinating prospects that I've studied in the last few years. He is a classic example of comparing who the player is now versus what they could be in the future. You look at how he's built and how he worked out at the combine, six foot five, 250 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms, and fluidity and explosiveness in space that looks like a safety, and you think, wow, this kid is unbelievable. And then you look at the tape and you see the poor angles to the ball, the plays where he never even sees the ball in the first place and completely misses his assignment, or the false steps that get him stuck in the trash and late to his gap, and you think, wow, this kid has a lot of work to do. So watching this, I hear that, and I think to myself, okay, so we have a project. But, uh, uh, well, but, he's 19. But he's 19 years old. He's, he's, well, his birth, I think his birthday was Tuesday. So he's 20. One year away from being able to legally drink on Chippewa. Now, with his speed and athleticism, based on everything I've read, Edmonds can play both edge rusher and off-the-ball linebacker. He's a massive human being. And there are scouts who out there who think that he could honestly gain another 10 pounds without losing any speed. I mean, a review of his highlights will show you a player who truly does have speed to go sideline to sideline when uncovered, as he would be in our 4-3 scheme. I mean, this is what this guy is. This is what Brett had to say about him in coverage. 
Just think of a player like Brian Erlacher, but six foot five, 250 pounds, and runs faster than a lot of safeties, but also has longer arms than most defensive ends. That's what we're talking about here with Edmonds. Just a complete and total freak to deal with in coverage. Virginia Tech even put him in the slot against wide receivers just because they could. He was that gifted that he could read a slant, plant his foot in the ground, open up his hips, and drive on it at 250 pounds. I don't remember the last linebacker prospect that could do that at that size. Not Jalen Smith, not Reuben Foster, not even Luke Keekley or Miles Jack. Hell, Edmonds has 2 inches of height, 10 pounds, and over 3 inches of arm length on Keekley, and he moves just as well, if not better than him in space. <laughs> if there is a flaw in his game, it's that he's young. And then at times he can rely a little bit more on his athletic traits to make plays than he, than he does actually have instincts. Those are things that he's going to have to learn at the NFL level. And that's what everyone's been talking about. Like I said, I've done no scouting on my own. I trust people who know more than me. And it sounds like Brett knows a lot more because this is how he closed out the segment. on, on well, you know, This is kind of just listening to what he had to say about Edmonds. It really kind of gets me excited. Every linebacker coach in the league is probably watching the same tape I did, and they're thinking the same thing I am right now. Tremaine Edmonds has no f***ing idea what he's doing yet, and he's still the best player on the field. You give him a good coach to teach him fundamentals and a good teammate to be his mentor, and he's going to be a future defensive player of the year. I truly believe that. Guys, Brett Coleman, okay, at Brett Coleman on Twitter, He's, he writes and he kind of works on behalf of SB Nation's Battle Red blog, you know, the, the Houston Texans blog. But he has his own YouTube channel and he does this film room series where he completely breaks down. He shows diagrams. He shows plays complete with breakdowns within the play, comments, arrows, all kinds of – Chris, you would love this because it would help you understand the X's and O's of football. I've watched this stuff on YouTube before and before we were pointed in the, in the direction of Deontay Lee – I was considering reaching out to Brett to be on our show. Well, I'll tell you this. So, guys, I know more than you do. So, And what he said there in that last clip, uh, line, coming into the linebacker room, you know, uh, Lorenzo Alexander ain't that bad of a mentor. No. So here's the thing. Guys, well, first and foremost, we're going to put a link to the full video. I suggest when you're bored, you go check that out, and then check out the rest of the stuff he has and all these other draft prospects. He does a fantastic job. That's Brett Coleman at Brett Coleman on Twitter, SB Nation's Battle Red blog. When it comes down to the Edmonds pick, this is what I think. He's young, okay? He's going to learn. There's a reason that Roquan Smith was taken before this guy. Roquan Smith isn't anywhere near the explosive athlete that Edmonds is, but he's proven that he has linebacker instincts and the ability to play them at a high level. That's why he was a top 10 pick in the draft. Everyone that scouted Edmonds assumed that he would go before pick 10. Now, from what I've read and what I've heard, the Bills assumed that that was going to be the case too. And then when he dropped out, the scouts had to come get Brandon Bean and be like, look at this, he's falling, do something. And he looked, he saw it, and he acted. He acted because he realized, holy shit, that's a guy who shouldn't be here we need to capitalize on this if we can find the right deal. It was a little interesting because we traded up to 16 to take him, and then three picks later, Dallas took uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who we had in for a visit. Yep. 
which and, speaks to, I guess, what this guy could be. The fact is that we, we didn't have him in for a visit, and we moved up to freaking get him. Absolutely. And then one of the quotes that I read about this guy that can get Bills fans excited came from Pro Football Weekly's Eric Edholm. If a team can't find a role for this guy, their defensive coordinator is in the, long run, in the wrong line of work. Well, you're in luck. Our defensive coordinator is not uh, Rob Bryan. Right? <laughs> so he's a raw prospect. He's young. It sounds like he does need some, he needs some veteran leadership and he needs coaching. But Sean McDermott has been a secondary coach and a linebacker coach and a defensive coordinator throughout the course of his career. Who better to oversee the development of a young kid like that? Yep. And as we look ahead, I take a look. Now, this was something I dug into because I was like, okay, this was, they said he could be a more, you heard Brett say it, he could be a more explosive athlete and he has the potential to be better than Keekley. I took a look over Sean McDermott's career as defensive coordinator between the Eagles and the Panthers and then compared the players that he had at the defensive tackle and linebacker positions and compared them against his defense's overall rankings. And I noticed an interesting trend. With the Eagles in 2009 through 2011, his linebackers weren't household names. Guys like Will Witherspoon, Jeremiah Trotter on the downside of his career and Will Witherspoon. He had Stuart Bradley and Jamar Chaney. Okay, these are guys who, again, are not household names, never were, never will be, much like your Preston Brown. At defensive tackle, they had Broderick Buntley, uh, Bunkley, excuse me, Mike Patterson, and then the following season, Mike Patterson and Antonio Dixon. Again, not names that the annals of football will ever you know, sing the praises of. Those two years as defensive coordinator, his defense is ranked 19th and 22nd. He got another try as defensive coordinator with the Panthers in 2012. That year, they drafted Luke Keekley as a rookie, as, an, as a, a middle linebacker. They already had Thomas Davis at linebacker. Their defensive tackles that year were Dewan Edwards and Ron Edwards. They finished that year 18th in overall defense, which is better than any of the marks that he posted with the Eagles. The following year, Luke Keekley's second year, had Thomas Davis. They drafted Star Latulale and had Colin Cole in a defensive tackle. Their defense was number two in the NFL. 2014, same D-tackle pairing, same linebacker pairing, but Luke Heakley got hurt. They fell to 21st. 2015, Luke Heakley comes back. He has Thomas Davis next to him. They have Shaq Thompson next to him. They have Star Latulale and Kawan Short. Again, two stud defensive tackles, plus premier linebacker talent. Their defense ranks sixth that season. What I noticed is that as a defensive coordinator, McDermott may have learned a thing or two about what kind of talent he likes and prefers for the way he wants to play defense. In Philly, he had mediocre linebacker talent and defensive tackle talent, and his defenses, regardless of how many players, you know, he had D.M. Dawkins, He had guys making Pro Bowls in the secondary. He had guys who were on their own doing very well statistically. But as a whole, the defense sagged. They they just struggled. 
in Carolina, he saw that his first set of top 10 defenses came because he built up the defense down the middle with dynamic talent and stout defensive tackles. So is it is it a shock to anyone that he's trying to replicate that here in Buffalo? He's trying to build up two stud defensive tackles, maybe even a stable of them, to cover up some dynamic linebacker play. Now, mind you, he just dra- we just drafted Tremaine Edmonds. But, and it's too early to say if he's ever going to live up to the hype. It's going to rely on coaching. It's going to rely on a lot of things. But what I'll say is that this seems like he's taking a good shot at trying to make us kind of a resurgence with a better safety tandem and a better secondary of what he had in Carolina the year they went to the Super Bowl. Because that was completely driven by the defense. In my opinion, this was a fantastic value pick considering he was expected to be a top 10 player. I mean, I just, I think that the fit is perfect. As a whole, Chris, I can't grade the first round. Last year, I tried to grade every pick. I can't grade this because I opened, for the reasons I opened the conversation with, it all comes down to the quarterback. Instead, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to wallow in my booze, and just try to be optimistic. I hope that all of my chicken littling over, holy fuck, we drafted the most inaccurate quarterback since J.P. Lozman. I figured you can't grade it because you sucked at it last year. You like none of the picks. I just And hope, a lot of our picks played well last year. I just hope that all of that just panicking over the pick and his collapse don't just, you know, I'm going to do it hoping that I continue to be wrong when it comes to quarterback evaluation and that the sky doesn't actually just fall down on top of my head. I don't know if my liver can handle that. And now, folks, as we always do, you know, the AFC Roundup, it's, it's, it's been, become a cornerstone of the Rock Pile Report. We always keep eyes around the division. Obviously, we want to know what the hell is going on around the playoff game at home. you got to win the division. So having said that, this week we kick things off with a team from down south, the eastern seaboard. And we have a very special guest tonight to discuss it. Travis Wingfield. Soccer-style kicker. Graduated from Collier High, June 1976. Stetson University Honors graduate, class of 1980. Holds two NCAA Division I records, one for most points in a season, one for distance. Former nickname The Mule, the first and only pro athlete ever to come out of Collier County and won a hell of a model of America. Locked on Dolphins podcast. But this is Miami, pal. Mr. Wingfield, how are we doing tonight? What's up, fellas? I'm doing very well. I got some uh, a new player to play around with and look at the all twenty two on here. We just traded for Akeem Spence, so I am all dialed up for the night. <laughs> you know, it must be nice to feel good about your team's draft, right? That must be nice, <laughs> you jerk. I've been looking forward to this for since they called his name, man. I, I bet you have, you son of a bitch. <laughs> so first and foremost, we better Chris, let's just get this out of the way. Folks, last during the last show we did, or two weeks ago, we made a bet. We made a bet with Travis Wingfield that... Uh, <laughs> Tannehill, he said, Tannehill, gonna start 2018. Barring injury, I don't see anyone else starting but Tannehill. I really thought that the Dolphins were going to be a player for a quarterback. I was really banking it's on It's all that. hearsay. Folks, I have a teal... Uh, in, in honor of the Miami Dolphins, I have a teal Seagram's. Chris. I got a I got an orange one, peach fuzzy navel. Oh, sounds about right. All right, Wingfield. 
to hell with you and the Dolphins. Chris, bottoms up. Bottoms up, fins up, boys. Jesus. I'll just go ahead and talk while you guys are doing that and claim that, you know, I was on the Minka Fitzpatrick DB pick all along that the the whole thing about a quarterback was merely a farce and trying to get teams to trade up. And lo and behold, there go the Arizona Cardinals jumping right in front of the Dolphins and dropping Minka Fitzpatrick into our laps. <coughs> oh, God. There it is. Oh. The Seagrams hurt your lungs. I got to savor it and I can't. Oh, my God. I just chug it because it's awful. <laughs> I mean, if, if I'm going to hurt this bad, I'm going to do it to myself, though. And it's, I'm going to do it quick. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid, Chris. So there you go. Our first Seagram's So what if you like <laughs> ripping off Band-Aids? Our first Seagram's <laughs> loss in the post-draft era, 2018. <laughs> so, Travis, you really didn't see... You really didn't see the... Uh, I guess I thought the Dolphins would be more aggressive in the first round. I really did. I got to tell you, though, I'm kind of pissed off about the fact that uh, I'm, you know, for as much as it hasn't worked out for the Bills drafting Alabama players, I enjoy trying to root for them in their professional careers, which is why it drives me crazy that between your team and between, between you guys and between the Patriots, you guys can't stop drafting them. Get a, stay, stay, out of, stay out of Tuscaloosa. Knock it off. All right? That was my one takeaway from your group's draft. Now, I, first and foremost, just as a whole, when you look at what the NFL draft was, what were your favorite non-AFC East selections in this year's draft? Well, I had Derwin James, my number two overall player on the board. So him going to the Chargers to go work with Gus Bradley, who we all heard about Derwin James being a basically a more athletic Cam Chancellor. So Gus Bradley gets his new Cam Chancellor in San Diego. San Diego, Los Angeles, and he has that piece to play with. They come back and get Kaiser White. They get Yuchenna Nwosu. I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, suck the Chargers' dick here a little bit and tell you how much I loved their entire draft and think they set themselves up to be the biggest competition to the Patriots uh, going forward here. But other picks that I loved, I, I think Luke Falk, you guys know how much I liked him out of Washington State, my boy, mm-hmm. go Cougs. He falls to pick number 199 conveniently where Tom Brady went, you know, 18 years ago to the Tennessee mm-hmm. Titans. So I think that's a good pick for them as a backup quarterback. Just off the top of my head, let's go Derwin James and Luke Falk. Wow. You re- the, the Chargers, you just said Chargers and Patriots in the same sentence. I am astounded. Now, when you look at least favorite picks, I mean, in every draft, we have those things that you look at as the draft is playing out and you see it and you get angry on their fan base's behalf. <laughs> so on the flip side of that coin, what do you think your you know, your two, two or three least favorite picks of the draft were? Throwing the game back to 1998 is not a good idea, and John Gruden continues to double down on that theme with the Colton (laughs) Miller pick at pick 15 after he had a crack at all these elite guys that were still on the board at number 10. I think they only got like a third and a fifth round pick to move back with the Cardinals there, so just completely obliterating that draft class. Raiders got to deal with that for the next 10 years. That should be fun for them. So that was a terrible one. Uh, You know, I... Let's just stick with that one because I can't off the top of my head give you a better answer than that. (laughs) No, that was one of the... I, that was one of the worst. Now, as far as the Dolphins are concerned, you guys came into the draft with, I mean, your offseason has been kind of strange. And I guess this is one of the things that I really, as the offseason progresses, I'm really going to want to pick your brain about as we get back together and do these sorts of things. I mean, going into this, you're coming off a disappointing season in which Adam Gase flat out admitted that the game against Buffalo here in Orchard Park was the tipping point for him where he looked over his roster and said, I see guys who are just full of quit. 
There's a ton of quit in a lot of these players. And so they once again kind of overhauled the roster and jettisoned some players and cut some guys who people thought were going to be there or traded them away or you know traded four guys to replace you know incumbent starters. I mean, I guess my question to you is, what were the Finns' needs heading into the 2018 draft? Well, I guess I'll continue to be the contrarian and say, you know, it wasn't quarterback. I mean, I, the reason I was on that train the whole time was just because you put the pieces together and obviously you cover the team as closely as I do. You kind of, you know, can connect the dots. And it, quarterback was just never in their mind, in my opinion. They actually had a deal on the table to go up to number eight with the Chicago Bears. And if they did that, I think it would have been Roquan Smith and not Josh Rosen there. So I didn't believe any of that from the start. I think they had to get better in some key areas on defense. Red zone defense, they were 30th in the NFL. Third and long, so third and six plus, they were 32nd, dead last in the NFL. They had to get someone to come in and be a mismatch eraser. You know, a Rob Gronkowski, a Deion Lewis type of guy, LaShawn McCoy for that instance as well. And they had to get someone that helped in that area. So by getting Minka Fitzpatrick into the secondary and bolstering that area of the field, you can now let Rashad Jones do more up around the line of scrimmage because he was kind of relied on in the back end a lot or too much last year and going back. And so now we have a true free safety to go with Rashad Jones. That was a big area. Linebacker and tight end were huge areas. Mike Gusecki is just the ideal fit for Adam Gaze's Y-ISO position in this offense. And then you get Jerome Baker at the linebacker spot. So I thought they checked off their three biggest needs in the first rounds there, and none of those were quarterbacks, obviously. So, and that was, you know, that, that was one of the things I watched, is I saw them drafting, and I said, and I remember asking you the question. You know, you would put out... Uh, a Q&A thing for the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, of which you are the host, and said that, hey, I'm going to open up the mailbag. Who has questions that they want read on the air? And I had two of them. One, what were you going to do you know, from a revenge standpoint when you find the guy who stole the lower half of your face? <laughs> and two, was drafting a linebacker, even though you guys just took Raekwon McMillan last year in the second round, was drafting a linebacker still something that you thought was a priority to the Dolphins? Now, it seems that they did target a linebacker when it was convenient for him. I think it was a good value pick. So I guess you it sounds an awful lot like you feel comfortable that the Dolphins addressed their needs as a whole as far as the biggest, or I would say most glaring needs. Is that correct? Yeah, I, you know, you guys follow me on Twitter. I tweet all day long. I'm probably <laughs> the most active Dolphins fan on Twitter, so I know it's hard to keep a track of, but... I know you've seen a lot of optimism out of me this this offseason, and it's because before it all started, the plan that I had laid out myself was to build around Ryan Tannehill to get better protection, to get more weapons that are not, you know, have to be forced out on offense so you can distribute the football across the offense, and then to get better in those areas I talked about in defense. And in my opinion, they've done all that. That's why I'm so optimistic. And by nature, I'm kind of an optimistic guy, but the Dolphins kind of beat that out of me over the years. After the Joe Philbin reign, I was like, you know, six and 10, eight and eight at best type of year. The last couple of seasons were my predictions, but now I just, you know, they keep checking these boxes. And if Ryan Tannehill is the guy that I have been beating my chest saying he is, I think this team sets up real, real nicely going forward. And by chest, we mean your dad bod chest. <laughs> you know, we're working on it. <laughs> it's it, it's funny because I'm a, I am ai am a former fat guy with a spare tire, and I laugh at both of you because both of you suffer from varying versions of differing, differing yet somehow still dad bod. Yeah, Travis has, Travis has non-athletic dad bod. I have full-on <laughs> athletic 
Dad bod. Chris, you play roller hockey, which I can only assume, like I said, with I'm picturing uh, Kramer from Seinfeld doing karate against children. (laughs) Whereas this guy plays shortstop in softball, which I can't even claim because the one because you're a catcher, you have the you have the athletic ability of Christopher Reeve. I will I will say this: I tried to play first base. I, I played first base for one inning last year. One. Yeah, and you busted your thumb. And I absolutely destroyed my <laughs> finger because I tried to barehand a ball that I couldn't. I don't know why I didn't use my glove. I just barehanded it. I made the catch, and then my fingernail came off, and that's how that oh. goes. Because maybe I'm just not cut out for, I don't know. Any Being sport, an athlete. <laughs> sports you can play while drinking. Do you jump on the old uh, scooter when you go to Walmart? No. No, I do not. You're not there yet? <laughs> not there yet. But who knows? Maybe someday if I keep having to drink these damn Seagrams. <laughs> so I guess my question to you then is after seeing what you guys did in the draft, I mean, it seems like you guys really did some work here. I mean, you addressed your tight end. You you added a dynamic playmaker, right, in uh, Gasicki. He's a big tight end. He's a Now, I, I will say, are you familiar with the host of the uh, – the Finsider podcast. Finsider podcast. Is that the um, Matt Canada? The, yes. He tweeted at someone that we follow last night, essentially stating that because it, it was in response to a video that the Bills had posted featuring all of their defensive backs. And it was supposed to be something of a hype video, get the fans excited. And his response to the video was, well, we drafted Mike Kosicki, uh, you know, essentially Gronk 2.0. We're going to mm. destroy you guys. And my response to him was that type of optimism at this point in the season is foolish because it only lays the groundwork for disappointment. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, that's, you know, I actually unfollowed that guy recently because I got sick of all the uh, insider reports that he claims to have and just consistently being wrong. So I had to get off that train. Um, I think there's a bit of a rivalry brewing between myself and the the Finsider guys, you know, the SB Nation site. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just hasn't been a good offseason for the two of us in terms of getting along, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, let's say you beat Omar Kelly earlier in the offseason. <laughs> so. you, you won your first round with Omar Kelly. So I guess essentially when I'm looking <laughs> over your class, you, you draft an impact safety, right, a, who's essentially a chess piece. He can play any defensive back position, sort of like what we did this year with Micah Hyde. You know, we yeah. Micah Hyde for us was that guy that we could drop into the deep quarter of the field. We could bring down inside the box. We could have him play slot corner. We could have him blitz on occasion. He could. He was a jack of all trades, and that's what you're getting with Minka Fitzpatrick. So he's an he's an elite level playmaker. That's a perfect comparison, honestly. Gasicki again, dynamic tight end. I mean, I, I'm not going to say. I will say that receiving tight end. Charles Clay might have been your best shot out of the guys that you've had on the roster over the course of the last five, six, seven years to be an impact tight end. And with him leaving, you guys have really kind of struggled to fill that gap, but Kasicki seems like he could do that. And then you get Baker at linebacker. Now, from there, you doubled down on tight end. That's the only question I have. What is it that this Durham Smythe guy, what does he bring to the table? That was actually probably my least favorite pick of the you know first five ones. I, I was a big fan of all the other picks we made up until that point, but then they go with Durham Smythe, and you know I haven't I actually was supposed to do his breakdown today, but the Akeem Spence trade made me kind of shift gears on that. So I haven't gotten to his film just yet, but from what I've gathered with what the Dolphins talk about him and just the little stuff I've seen on Twitter, he's he only had like 15 career catches at Notre Dame, so he's an inline blocker, strictly going to help you in the running game and probably helps the Dolphins red zone a little bit. We couldn't run the ball for a 
anything in the red zone last season. So he comes in on that 12 personnel package and helps you kind of move guys off the line of scrimmage. There's a couple of good gifs on Twitter that I saw of him taking out Bradley Chubb in some uh, in that NC State game they had this year. So mm-hmm. he does good work in that area. But the Dolphins are claiming that he has more receiving ability than what we've seen so far, at least on tape. I, you know, I have to get a look at it before I buy that. But I think that when you have a guy that only had 15 catches, he's probably, you know, more of that wide tight end that plays in line. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens with him. But probably more of a, you know, a, at this point in his rookie season, probably a 20, 30 percent snap taker in the running game and in the red zone passing game as well. And then I guess I have one <laughs> the head scratcher out of all of this. You guys drafted a kicker, and that's not what makes this confusing because a lot of teams with their last pick in the draft will draft a kicker. I mean, it happens a lot. You know, obviously no one's as stupid as the Buccaneers drafting them in, the, what, the second round? Oh, geez. But teams will draft kickers rather than try to just scour the market and find an undrafted free agent or something along those lines. You took with your last pick in the draft Jason Sanders, a kicker out of New Mexico. Now, what bothers me about this pick for you guys, you guys have gotten decent kicking in the last few years, I feel like. So I don't know if that's exactly a need that you would want to throw a draft pick at. And at the same time, this guy missed 10 field goals over the course of his career. So I don't know if that's... It's probably because Daniel Carlson from Auburn was not available. (laughs) He was already selected because that dude's got a fucking leg. So I guess the question is, how do you feel about the idea of spending what is, generally speaking, seventh-round picks don't make rosters? I mean, Stevie Johnson's a great story here in Buffalo. There's been some throughout the course of the league. But just spending that last pick and taking a flyer on a kicker who's missed a bunch of kicks, I mean, what was your take on that? Well, you've already reached my quota for uh, talking about kickers right here, exceeded that amount. So we'll go ahead and just get a little further beyond that. But they didn't have a kicker on the roster coming into it. So, I mean, usually you'll go undrafted route. I mean, that's what they did with Dan Carpenter. That's what they did with Andrew Franks. And then last year they got Cody Parkey off of of waivers after training camp. So that was a nice add there. But they, I mean, Darren Rizzi has been the special teams coordinator here through like three coaching staffs. So he is kind of the long tenured guy on this Mm -hmm. staff. And they typically will throw him a pick at the end of the day on Saturday for the end of the draft. And I think this was probably his pick there. Like you mentioned, he wasn't very accurate, just a 71% field goal percentage in college, not very good. But he did kick in New Mexico, which is, I forget the name of the conference, but it's a bad weather conference. There's lots of inclement weather down there. And he has a huge leg. He's like a 70-yard attempt type of guy. He can hit from 70, at least distance-wise. And he hits a bunch of touchbacks. So, uh, you know, I pretty much trust Rizzy with the kicking just because that's kind of his forte and he's been around for a long time. But, you know, <laughs> using a pick on a kicker, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of that, especially when you have guys that fall, that like have a medical concern or maybe a you know, character red flag. I'd rather take a flyer on one of those guys than just and just, uh, you know, sign a kicker off of undrafted free agency. Oh, exactly. I mean, I was astounded that you know, for a team that drafted Kalen Ballage like you guys did, you know, that was a that, that was a running back that the Bills had met with and it, it was rumored there was a lot of interest there. You guys drafted him, and yet Akram Wadley fell right down the draft board into undrafted free agent territory. I almost feel like that would have been a better better use of a seventh round draft pick than a kicker. So I guess when just to kind of wrap this all up with a neat little bow on it, are you happy? Are you not happy? What do you feel about the 2018 Dolphins draft class? And how many of these guys do you think are going to come in and make an impact in 2018 for you guys? I think immediately you have a role for four of the top five picks. 
Uh, you talked about Kalen Ballage. I, I really like him. I had actually his former running backs coach at Arizona State on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast earlier this week talking about the kind of character he is and just how good he is as a pass catcher out of the backfield. We lost Damian Williams this year in free agency, so he comes in and fulfills that role immediately as a third down pass catching, pass blocking, short yardage type of back in that role. The tight end, Mike Gusecki, he's a day one starter, probably going to play 85% of the offensive snaps this year, immediately takes over Julius Thomas. Whether or not he, he is a fit and, and, you know, bites right away, we'll see, but he's going to play right away. And then, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick was the most ready-made defensive back in this entire draft class, so I, I'm thrilled to get him where we got him. And then Jerome Baker, you know, he, he might have a little bit of seizing to have to do because he was very good, you know, in 2016 at Ohio State. When he was paired with Raekwon McMillan, Dolphins, you know, second year linebacker now. He had a little bit of a down year in 2017, but you can see where his speed, athleticism, ability to play coverage in both man and zone come into play. So he'll have a role. I, I really hope he beats out Kiko Alonso from the start, but I wouldn't expect that of a third round rookie. I think Alonso probably gets one last chance to kind of prove his salt in Miami before he's ushered out of town. But you guys know how that works out. So all things told, I think they got great value at just about every pick, except for the Durham Smythe one, and then obviously later on in the draft. But great value with the other picks and at positions of need. So I'm, I'm very, very, very happy with the draft class. Sounds like they're going to be all day one starters off the bus. Yeah, I remember <laughs> a famous phrase of Doug Whaley. Well, I, man, it sounds like you're happy with your team's draft class, and I'm happy for you. Hopefully that's the last good thing that happens to you from here on out until the end of the 2018 season. <laughs> I believe it. Guys, if you're already not following Travis on Twitter, you have to give him a follow. Yeah, because he beat Omar Kelly in a Twitter argument. Because Amazing follow. Because he's a great follow. Travis, where can the people find you? Also happened to win the best follow on Dolphins Twitter, if you didn't see that bracket. It's at NFL. Last name, NFL attached to it. I get some crap for that name sometimes, but I figured that was an easy name for people to be able to find me by, so I don't really know. I guess you're not supposed to put NFL at the end of your name, but it's at Winkful NFL, of course, Locked On Dolphins. Well, it's better than Travis underscore rights. <laughs> oh, you remember the old one? <laughs> of course. I remember you. all of them. The Rockpile Report never forgets, sir. Guys, we're going to put a link to uh, his podcast and to some of his work here in the description of the show. I promise you you're not going to be disappointed if you give him a follow, even though he is... A gentleman who prefers to put on teal. He does it voluntarily, guys. <laughs> Travis, thank you so much for coming on with us tonight. Yeah, thanks, fellas. At Wingfield NFL on Twitter, one of the best follows for the Miami Dolphins. You need to follow him so you know what's going on within the division. He's one of my favorite guests that we have on, even though he wears a shit ton of orange and teal. Folks, tune in next week as we break down rounds three through seven of the NFL draft. I appreciate you showing up. We averaged over 505 downloads per week during the offseason. We've hit a high watermark for this podcast. It's not possible without every single one of you out there. We love you guys. We love your support. Chris, toast the people. Thank God for you guys. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pal Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.